Wendell Vaughn, the first Earthman ever appointed protector of the universe, bonded to the energy-transforming quantum bands that are both weapons and symbols of his station. He fights an ongoing battle to defend all life in the universe from cosmic evil. Stanley presents Quasar. Greetings and welcome back to the Quantum Cast, your source for all things Quasar. I'm Gene Hendricks, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend, Mr. Jeff Fishman. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing great, Gene. It's always good to talk to you and talk to our fans about all things Quasar. Yes, and speaking of fans, we actually got an email from a new listener. Nice! A Mr. Jack Bond wrote us uh, with the title, The Living Loser, or Laser. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I can't so that, that tells you where this email is going right from the start. Are you t- are you trying to tell me that he might not have as much respect for the living laser as one might ought to? How much respect should one have for the living laser? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Go ahead. What, what okay, is that? So he writes, and if you remember last time we were talking about how there were these two titles and they didn't quite you know, match up like you would in a Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon. Well, he has solved that problem for us. He has given us two new titles for issue number six. He he writes, Quasar number six flies on the moon, or at least jumps really high on the moon. (laughs) It's clever. Very clever. And uh, since it involved the Watcher, he tells us that the Watcher was watching X-Men number 96, but back in the day, and it took me all day back then to realize it, he was also prepping for What If number 9 on sale at that same time, which was titled What If the X-Men Died on Their First Mission. So you think that was a little bit of cross-promotion that uh, the guys at Marvel put in, like, we're going to show this on the screen and that what if episode is also on sale at the same time? I think so. I think it was a bit of stealth promotion. I think Mark Gruenwald is he's one of those writers who would just throw a little background thing in. Even if you didn't pick up on it, just, you know, it's there. The watcher has to be doing something, so he's doing this. But then if you make the connection, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> So he's one of those guys that that does things for his own enjoyment, much like my humor and your humor. Like, I don't fuck you. I don't care if you laugh. I said that for my own enjoyment. Exactly. Yes. All right. Got it. Which is why we like this series so much. (laughs) Exactly. Beautiful. So Jack goes on. As you may know, Quasar and What If were part of a six-book launch to fill the void from the cancellation of the New Universe titles. Mm-hmm. They were joined by She-Hulk, Moon Knight, I think another Punisher title, and Nth Man the Ultimate Ninja, if you want to play a game of one of these things is not like the others. Jack Kirby's new gods were said to have risen from the ashes of the old gods. It always tickles me to think Quasar, in some sense, rose from the ashes of the new universe. Jack. And that's that's a very interesting way to think about it. And it's a very valid point, and yeah. I'm surprised... I'm surprised that somebody wrote in with such a well-thought-out... And I'm trying not to be insulting here. (laughs) I realize that is my character that I play on this podcast. But, yeah, I mean, that is a very interesting, well-thought-out point. And uh, I really appreciate that we were able to hear that. So uh, thanks so much for the email. Yes, thank you very much, Jack. And if you would like to be as cool as Jack is, please write in to quantum.bands at yahoo.com. And you know what else I appreciate is it was well thought out, it was thought-provoking, and it wasn't three pages long. 
<laughs> oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, uh, it, that, if, if, if you go by some of the other emails I have heard from a uh, certain Mr. Trenner on uh-huh. other podcasts, that was brief. Uh, you know what? I wasn't. I, I didn't want to call Mr. Turner out, but oh, he and I, he and I have been talking about it back and forth over over Facebook. So okay. Now let me ask you: Is this somebody that you knew ahead of time, or is this somebody that just found us and now you've become friends with? Oh, it's just somebody that that found us, and I've I've now started communicating back and forth with him. He he is uh, a big. The term for a comic when you would write into a lot of comics was a letter hack. So he could be considered an email hack because he writes into a lot of different podcasts. Okay. So like a podcast hack, one might say. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, I like that. I like that. And there's a couple of guys that um, listen to our podcasts and uh, I have become friendly with, I mean, it's not like we go out for beers or anything, but you know, I've become friendly with, and uh, that's one of the, um, one of the perks and one of the pleasurable things about doing this podcast. I mean, we do it, as we stated before, for our own fun. And if no one listened, we'd still do this because it's a lot of fun for us. But to be able to meet and greet other people from around the world that have the same interest and to be a lightning rod for these type of topics is uh, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I always like talking to new people, especially if you have a common interest like this. Sure, sure. It's It's one of those things that... I'm sure you were as surprised as I was to find just how many people were out there that were excited about a Quasar podcast. I, you know what? I totally agree because I thought you and I were the only ones that ever read this book. But now I find that, you know what? I'm not alone in this bright world. And, and, and sometimes I, I go and I lay on the my back deck and I look up at the stars and I sing that Fival song. Because <laughs> I know that there are other people across the world who just love Quasar and these deep B or C list comic book characters. Yeah, I mean, heck, we have 58 likes on our Facebook page. And I know. That's, uh, that's 56 likes more than I expected. <laughs> A whole 56. Whoopee! <laughs> oh, talk about talking to a very, very niche group. Hey, it's, but it's a passionate niche group. And speaking of passionate, <laughs> yeah. how's that for a segue? I know you're passionate about the latest Avengers movie. Didn't you have something to talk about regarding that? Oh, uh, well, that was a really very, very subtle segue. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. You're, I, I'm Mr. Subtle, you know. <laughs> you're the king of subtle. Um, no, I just came out on iTunes, and I, I hate buying things on iTunes because I'm an old man, and I like to have something solid that I can hold on to like a disc or what have you, but I couldn't wait. You know, I I had a couple of really good weeks professionally and um, sticking to my diet. And I said, I'm going to reward myself with something that is not ice cream. And so I I bought it on, uh, um, uh, on iTunes and I watched it last night and God, what a great movie. And I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Oh, fucking Marvel podcaster that loves the Avengers. You know, that's a big spank of news, Copernicus. Um, (laughs) But the more I watch it, the more it, I mean, Joss Whedon did a great job making this look just like a comic book. I mean, from the snarky dialogue where the characters don't get along all the time and they're constantly making fun of each other to the infighting because you're not always going to get alpha male types that aren't going to agree. And then you've got Thor just 
going off and doing his own thing, you know, when the team is trying to get together and he's like, I got to go do my own thing. Well, that happened all the time in the early Avengers books. Oh, yeah. You know, same thing with Iron Man going off and doing his own thing. And then to have these mass battles where, you know, there's all this shit going on. I mean, that was one of the reasons why the Avengers uh, came about, because whoever the I forget who was the editor in chief at the time told Stan, hey, it seems like uh, uh, group comics you know, team comics are the new big thing, right? A team comic. So mm-hmm. he took, you know, all these individual titles and crammed them together to create a team and, you know, magic happened. And then the other, the, the other point that I really wanted to make is the, the scene that just was typical Avengers comics, old school Avengers to- comics is when you've got the Vision, you've got Iron Man, and you've got Thor all shooting their various energy projectiles at uh, Ultron, and he's, you know, putting his arm up to defend against that. I mean, that that could have come out of a page of any old Avengers book. And so I really felt like I was reading, you know, I really feel like captured that old Avengers thing. And then to have the team change up at the end of the movie, well, I mean, shit, the Avengers didn't go more than four or five issues before the team uh, roster changed. And I just, uh, I really think they did a good job, and I think that the movie was... uh, well received of course but not as well received as it probably should have been considering the all the homage that they paid to the old avengers books i mean they did a really good job of converting that style into a modern interpretation i agree i think and from all the review episodes i've heard about the movie etc the one thing the one detraction from it is it wasn't the first one and I mean, really, if you're going to have something bad to say about it, that's pretty damn good. Right. Really, because the the first Avengers movie is something that on paper should not have worked. Right. Because you have all these different, already established movie franchises coming together, directed by somebody who is not exactly known for action blockbuster. He's known mm-hmm. for TV, quiet introspective tv series mm-hmm. yes there's some action in those but it's not it's not what joss whedon was known for so on paper that shouldn't have worked but between joss whedon's vision i mean it artistic vision not paul ben. the vision <laughs> right uh, i get it and really in my opinion three actors and they're all terrific don't get me wrong i'm not putting anyone down but these three robert downey jr Chris Evans, and Chris Helmsworth. If they did not nail their characters, no one would believe it. Agreed. Because you have, I mean, Chris Evans alone is the best incarnation of any superhero in live action since Christopher Reeve. And it's for the exact same reason, because he's not winking at the camera. He is playing it 100% earnest. That's true. He actually believes what's coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. I uh, I completely agree with you. He's not being the smartass that he has been in other uh, uh, movies that he's been in where he's played other characters. Uh, but I'm surprised because I've listened to your other podcast, Gene, and not in the shower. But <laughs> I listened to your other podcast, and I remember the one that you were talking about, the 70s made-for-TV Captain America movies. And, <laughs> and uh, are you sure you're telling, telling me that Chris Evans is uh, – is a better Captain America than uh, than Chunk Beefcake was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I 
think so. Yeah. All right. All right. Good. But I mean, Red Brown was the best '70s Captain America you could ask for. Right. He was the listen. You got to be the best Brett Brown. Brett. Reb. Reb, of course. Reb. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Reb Brown, you got to be the best Reb Brown you can be, buddy. That's that's uh, that's a little bit of. Uh, uh, uplifting speech yeah. uh, from here. And uh, to, to your point about a not an origins story. Well, yeah, or, or not the first Avengers. Yeah. The first Avengers was an origin story. So you got to get all the backstory in. You got to get all the characters in one place. It's like playing D&D. All of your characters just happen to be in the same tavern. Mm-hmm. Something happens to get them to work together. And now you've got to find out how they work together. Well, this is not that. This is, in fact, from the very opening scene, they're already a cohesive unit. They're working together. They've got tactics. You know, this is the movie we want to see. The event, the first movie, The Avengers, was great, but it wasn't an origins movie. Right. This is the Avengers movie. I personally think the second one was better than the first one because I want to see this is a cohesive group. They're already working together. Yeah, there's some tension. Tony Stark wants to do this. Captain America's playing it safe. Thor is being, you know, pretty boy, but they are working together as a cohesive group. And from the very first scene, you see them, hey, we already know who each other is. We're doing our thing. I also like what they did with Hawkeye to make him, you know, because Hawkeye is the butt of a lot of jokes because, Mm -hmm. you know, really, when you think about it, it's a stupid character that was created in the 60s. But to make him the heart of the team. He's the only one without any real superpowers or a vagina. And <laughs> Go on, tell me I'm wrong. I, you know? I can't tell you. Uh, to make him the heart of the team, to help him, you know, to give the inspirational speeches, to get the Scarlet Witch on board, which, by the way, she makes a good Scarlet Witch. She uh, does. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have any problems with any of this. I, I'm surprised that they had Pietro die. But, again, that's a nice little twist. Not everyone has to come out unscathed. So I think that this was the this is the Avengers movie that we want because we got the origin story. Now, tell me a story where they're already together. The G.I. Joes have already been formed. Tell me how they're going to go take down Cobra. Right. Last point I want to make is from an old school Avengers guy. I mean, Avengers first came out in 1963 out of that uh, 50. I can't do math. 52 years worth of comics. I might have 45 years worth of those comics in my 10,000 comic book strong collection. I don't want to say that I've read them all, but I've read most of them. So if I'm an expert on anything in this life, it's probably the Avengers. And that's very sad. That's probably why I'm not married anymore. But the vision, they did a really great modern adaptation of the, of the vision. I like the origin story. I like how he behaved. I liked how the character was, was created and just how he performed in combat, you know, the glowing green and I'm going to reach through your chest and, and pull you apart. It's a beautiful thing. I also loved how he ends up saving the Scarlet Witch from the falling, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, city because in the comics they end up getting married so i mean that could be the beginning of that relationship Uh, just lots of nods to a guy who's read all of this uh, history of this really great book yeah and one thing i really love about the vision is how he got his cape yeah (laughs) because he just looks over at thor and says that's a cool look i want that look and grows i like it here's i like that cape i'm gonna have a cape too uh well, and I'm glad that when he was born, they didn't have a giant blue schlong 
like they did <laughs> in the Watchmen movie. Because that, they could have went in that direction, right? You know, They, they could have, but like, at least the, the Watchmen one had precedence in the actual comic. I know, I know, but they could have done that. And I realized that Marvel was part of Disney now, and they never would. But it could have happened, and it just... When I went to see it in IMAX, it would have been extremely distracting. To say the least. Right. So, uh, I think that, I mean, was there anything else we wanted to talk about the Avengers movie? I mean, I know you guys came here for Quasar, but, uh, you know, I'm assuming that you want to hear about our thoughts on Avengers as well. Uh, No, see, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, so I can't speak to that. I just, I'm probably going to, hell, I don't even have the Winter Soldier on DVD yet. What? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, but I, but I do have Santa Buddies on DVD. Woo! <laughs> uh, the benefits of being a dad. Uh, so you're a brony? Is that what you're telling me? Hell no. No. Well, when uh, when we play D and D next weekend, I will make sure that I have that Avengers all queued up so we can watch that while everyone else fiddles with their characters. <laughs> yeah, it'll be about two hours, right? Yeah, because not like anyone can ever come to the table prepared. Jesus Christmas. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good Um, point to take a break. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good point to take a break. And we really do want to hear your opinions on the Avengers movie. And if you didn't like it, we want to hear that so we can ridicule you. (laughs) And if you do like it and you agree with us, we're going to certainly talk about that because we want to, you know, we want to make ourselves feel like we're smart. We want to boost our own egos. That's why (laughs) we have this show. That's exactly right. There's, hey, Gene, there are 56 other people in this world that have some passing tolerance of our opinion. (laughs) break time break time excellent My name is Stella, and I host Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. I, along with my dear friend Donovan Morgan Grant, are going to be hosting a special Backroll to Oracle episode called The Minority Report. I'm putting the call out right now for anyone that identifies himself or herself as a minority to have a discussion centering around this question. Are minorities portrayed properly in media? Now, Donovan Morgan Grant and I will be leading this discussion and would like your input. So whatever your nationality, ethnicity, gender identification, or sexual orientation, if you are interested in being a part of this conversation, please contact me at backrotooracle at gmail.com. This discussion will take place in early 2016. Heterosexual white males need not apply. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing from you.
2016. In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire & Water Podcast Network happening this year. What do you think, Rob? That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show, and I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network, and then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, oh, hot moo. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha podcast. Now, Here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait network. a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first. So we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben voyons donc. You have what? got uh, what? to be the Enough! Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See? Now, was that so hard? Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? Welcome back. Now, before we get to Quasar number seven, uh, Jeff and I were talking, and we would like to give some shout outs to people that have liked the Quantum Cast Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash quantum bands. In no particular order, just a few random people. We have uh, Jeff Trout. Kenton Russell, Mikkel Kleisner, Gary Arkell, uh, Fanboy Miss Prime, our frequent email writer, Roy Snook, Tom McShane, and Thomas Caniglia. Just, just to name a few, uh, all these people were nice enough to go to the Facebook page and click the like button, and they are now getting all of those fun updates that we have out. It's We pretty much have something out every day, don't we? Uh, every couple of days, yeah. you know, something comes across my plate or your plate that we think is amusing. We send it on our way. And some of these names really sound like uh, comic book character secret identity names. Well, we will not out your secret identity if... <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Like, I don't want to... Like, I'm not making fun of anybody's name. Don't think I'm making fun of you. But I, you know, like, like Jeff Trout, you know, it sounds like, you know, he's probably like Aquaman's secret identity. <laughs> I can say that because I happen to know Jeff. Jeff's one of the guys that I became friends with. Okay. Uh, he's, a good, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. But we just want to thank everyone for liking the page. Uh, like we said, there was in no particular order, no reason. I just randomly grabbed names off of the list. So mm. uh, if you know anyone that 
you may think would enjoy the podcast or just enjoy some of the general snarky stuff that we post, please have them head over and like the page. Sweet. All right, and now on to Quasar issue number seven. What is that, like 30 minutes of babbling before we actually get to the, the comic? Yeah, well, we can't get to the comic first, otherwise they won't listen to the babbling. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's true. All right, so we have Quasar number seven. Yeah. Cover date is February 1990. God, that's 25 years ago. So long ago. Jeez. On sale date, even longer ago, December 12th, 1989. And thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at DCIndexes.com for that information. I would have been, what, 15? Yeah. No, no, no I came no. out in 89. And, no, you would have been, you, you would almost have been 15. Right. My yeah, I, I would have just turned 14. You would have been almost turning 15. Oh, my God. We would have still been in Boy Scouts. Yeah. Well, I mean... I remember taking the first few issues of this to summer camp one year. I remember, because I read It must have been uh, summer camp in 90 then. Yeah. Wow. All right. Anyway, pencils this time are by Mike Manley. Uh, I was reading in the letters page of this particular issue that Paul Ryan, who Mm -hmm. had been penciling since issue number one, had basically become overworked. And so he decided to drop Quasar and focus on Avengers. So he br- Mike Manley is brought in. He's going to stick around uh, through issue number 17. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the creation, uh, the creator credits, are the same as before. Danny Bolinati on inks, Janice Chiang on letters, Paul Becton on colors, Howard Mackey was the editor, and Tom DeFalco was the apato-in-chief. <laughs> and by the way, I like the the new direction the art style is going, uh, going in. So either... Um... You know, because I'm sorry, I, I stroked out there for a minute. Um, you know, I just I like the I like the new direction the art style is going. So I am I'm very happy with this change. Yeah, I mean, I I like Paul Ryan's art. I like mm-hmm. Mike Manley's art. They're too, they're not exactly the same, but they're close enough that it's not a jarring change. Correct, correct. And we want to make sure that uh, enough time is given to our buddy Quasar, and there's a lot of detail in this because the uh, uh, Mike apparently has fewer things on his plate, which is a good thing. Right. Okay, now on the cover we have Quasar fighting a glowing and flying Spider-Man while an armored giant reaches for both of them. The cover copy reads, Quasar, the Cosmic Avenger, versus the new all-powerful Spider-Man, to say nothing of Terminus, the Planet Wrecker. Now, Planet Wrecker. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't wrecked much, has he? No, uh, no, 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 no. He's he's. I always viewed him as a Galactus, uh, you know, uh, you know, poor man's Galactus, if you will. Right. Um. But as far as his nickname, the Planet Wrecker, I room with a guy named Brian in college, and he was the bathroom wrecker. <laughs> well, maybe that's what it is. I mean, Galactus actually destroys all life on a planet. Terminus just makes you want to move to the other room. <laughs> Turn the fan on and leave the window open is what you're saying? Yes. I understand. All right. So when I look at this cover, there's a lot more going on. Quasar is becoming more of the quote-unquote cosmic Avenger. Like he's doing things in outer space, which he really hasn't done anything in outer space since issue two. And, uh, you know, why is Spider-Man flying? Why is he glowing? I mean, I remember I actually have the graphic novel, speaking of bathrooms, in my bathroom (laughs) of of what was going on with Spider-Man during this time period. In my opinion, Gene, this is a really nice one-off comic. It's not an overlong story arc that spans two, three, six issues. It's one issue. 
beginning, middle, and storyline. And it's more of a, like a Marvel team-up where you've got two characters that meet each other. Conflict ensues because, you know, same thing with Quasar versus Johnny Torch. And any two superheroes that meet, they have to disagree at first and then come together to fight some other foe. Uh, but it's more like a Marvel team-up uh, one-shot comic. Would you agree? I, I would agree. It's one of those, uh, and Michael Bailey has this uh, term that he uses on his podcast, Views from the Long Box, or actually is more uh, Crisis to Crisis. It's all subplots accounted for. Mm-hmm. And that's because this is a one-shot, but you also have Quasar dealing with e- Eon, Quasar dealing with his dad, Quasar, uh, Wendell Vaughn dealing with his uh, security firm. It's just, okay, we got to have a scene with that, scene with that, scene with that. We're done. Mm. So, it, yeah, it's moving those stories along, plus you have this one-shot adventure, which is part of this overall arcing, checking on all the extraterrestrials on Earth, in case one of them happens to be homicidal. Mm-hmm. And, and it... Your comment about the Marvel team-up is, really, since issue number three, this title has been a Marvel team-up. It's been Quasar and another hero. Right, and I think that's as a cheap marketing grab. I mean, last, I uh, yeah, last issue we had, was it, was it last year the issue that we had Venom? We had Venom, yeah. Yeah, who was captured in Two pages. a page and a half, <laughs> right. And this one, it's Spider-Man is on the front cover, so it's a way to it's a way to get people into Quasar. Yeah. So are we? Uh, where are we at the comic? Are we on page we're, one? We're about to go to page one. Yes. Okay. So we have the title of Terminus Rising. Ooh. We open in the Savage Land, where an Apatosaurus eats his lunch near the shattered armor of the giant alien named Terminus, where it has lain since the events of X-Men Annual Number Twelve. And I like one of these uh, boxes here that says, among them is the mighty Apatosaurus, a behemoth known to schoolchildren as Brontosaurus. Which we now know doesn't exist because they had the wrong skull on the, the skeleton. Exactly, exactly. And something that I think is incredibly important to point out, this comic came out in 1989. No internet, kids. Right. So, you know, Mark, when he was writing this thing, either had to be a pretty smart guy and have a lot of facts uh, already in his little noggin, or he had to go look things up at his local library because this was not a common fact. I mean, it's something that I didn't really even know until a couple of years ago because I'm addicted to the History Channel. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, you're right. The brontosaurs never actually existed. There was a race to, you know, big money in discovering dinosaur bones. It was the hip thing to do in the uh, late 19th century. And... Two people found Apatosaurus bones. They put the wrong skull on a Brontosaurus, uh, wrong skull on an Apatosaurus, named it the Brontosaurus. It became very popular. Everyone said, oh, Brontosaurus, but uh, that animal never actually existed. Right. And that's one of the things that I like about this title, and we did mm-hmm. mention this last time, was the amount of research that Mark Gruenwald went into to this. And later on, we're going to see he actually has information on the Roche point, which is the point beyond which an object will no longer fall back to Earth. I have that in my notes, and, page 27. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's You don't have to say it, but he does, and then puts the explanation, this is what it is. So anyone like us reading this is like, not only are you getting great entertainment, you're actually being educated. Yeah, I know. You might actually learn something, too, <laughs> Dr. Cosby. 
Oh, we won't go into that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, page two, as I do my Paul Harvey impersonation. (laughs) And now the rest of the story. Man, I love Paul Harvey. I know. (laughs) God damn. Uh, The weapon near the armor, a hundred-foot energy lance, begins to glow and burns a shaft down into the earth. Meanwhile, in the pocket... Shut your mouth! (laughs) Just talk about shaft. Uh, I am... When I was writing that synopsis, I didn't realize that line was going to come out, so... I should have. I I I knew it was, and I was waiting for it. Uh, Meanwhile, in the pocket dimension hidden behind his office bookshelf, Quasar is talking to Eon about his mission to protect Eon from the extraterrestrial threat, and the mentor is typically cryptic, frustrating Quasar. Mm -hmm. Hey, can we back up for a second? Sure. Somewhere in here, I forget where it was, but they were talking about uh, that they were um, a couple of months into the six-month-long Antarctic day. Yeah, that would be on page one. Page one. Okay, so I missed it. So everyone and their mother goes to the Savage Land at some point. Are you trying to tell me that six months out of the year— It's dark. It's dark? Six yeah, months I, of the year, we have no, we have, it's all light because the sun's on it. And I, I realize that's how it works in the real world, but there's no light source for six months. How do all of these giant plants grow to feed our Apatosaurus uh, friend so that he in turn can be food for uh, the carnivorous dinosaurs? Yeah, I see, I always thought that there was something to do with the volcanic activity that created light even if it was the Antarctic night there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they, I don't think they ever actually go into explaining it, at least in, in my memory. I understand. Well, maybe one of our uh, podcast hacks will do some homework and write us an email and explain what if someone actually uh, uh, addressed that issue in one of the other comics over the years. Yes, please. Or in the... Uh... Handbook of the Marvel Universe or anything like that. <laughs> right. And by doing that, that'll keep Gene and I from having to do any real show prep. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. <laughs> anyway, Eon does say that there's an extra dimensional energy signature that is nearby but has been jumping around randomly. Quasar programs his quantum bands to track it and flies off. The search leads him fairly quickly to Spider Man, who is none too happy about reacquainting himself with Quasar who we first met in Marvel Team-Up number 113. Thank you for the editor's note. Mm-hmm. Quasar tries to scan Spider-Man with something that looks vaguely like a stethoscope, but could be even more sinister to, by where it's focusing. Yeah, it's a quantum scope right on his nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad Frank's not here. We could start singing the ball song. <laughs> Bitey starts to glow and punches Quasar out into the river where he lands on a barge. Now notice... Spider-Man is flying. Yes. He doesn't have webs. He's flying. Now, at the time, I'm like, what is going on? Because I wasn't reading what was going on in the Spider-Man comics. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's still foreshadowing. They haven't actually said what was... Now, it's been 25 years. Do you think anyone's going to get mad if we spoil it? Well, let's let's wait until page 9, because there is a super spoilerific image on that page. I have that same note. Okay, Okay, go ahead. So, Spider-Man is overwhelmed by guilt, thinking he's nearly killed Quasar. You were going to say Galactus, weren't you? No. Uh, (laughs) Just like he had nearly killed Goliath and the Hulk. 
Oh. Spidey flies, yes, flies, out to check on Quasar, who traps Spider-Man in a construct. Spidey breaks out, surprising Quasar, and then lifts the barge into the air, glowing in a certain pattern that gives away just what's happening to the observant reader. Now, let's get to the spoiler. <laughs> ah, so it's the Captain Universe power. There's yes. a pattern on his overlying his suit while he's using his uh, strength to lift this barge. And, it, you know, if you knew anything about uh, comics, you knew it was the, uh, what is it, the Uniforce? Yes, the Uniforce, which it goes to whatever place it is most needed and inhabits a host. Mm -hmm. But in this case, Spider-Man got it and just kept it for a good long while. I actually had the issue where he punched the Grey Hulk into orbit. Mm -hmm. I have that entire graphic novel uh, where they compile that entire story arc. And uh, if memory serves, it was the power was coming because it was needed. Uh, an experiment from a random scientist that was probably never seen again in the Marvel Universe corrupted not, and corrupted not in a bad way like it became evil but let's say confused the mm. uniforce it merged with spider-man but spider-man didn't get the cosmic awareness to know what was going on he didn't realize he was now the host for the uniforce the uniforce didn't know to leave him but he got all of the other powers that go along with it and so now he's basically relearning how to use this power and doesn't realize exactly how strong he is. I also would like to note that in one panel here, he's in the middle of the water, hanging upside down from a, from a web line, as we see him do, but there's nothing for that web line to stick to. It's just he's doing it out of habit. So he's technically flying upside down with a web line going straight up into the air, presumably attached to nothing. Right. He's probably just subconsciously using the the Captain Universe powers just to keep that taut, mm -hmm. just to make himself feel better. Like, oh, I'm not flying. I'm hanging from a web like I always do. Correct. And, you know, you got to imagine, I mean, this is good storytelling because that's what you would do if you were Spider-Man, you know, just you know, just a dude that happens to have some powers. You would. We're creatures of habit. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And you'll notice that throughout this, even though he knows he has this power, even though he knows he can fly at the end of page nine, he still shoots a web out to go away from the barge. Right, to the World uh, Trade Center. And he's got to be a good mile away from it. But he shoots line because that's what he's used to doing. Right. So, as I just said, Spidey drops the barge and flies off. Mm -hmm. Now, Quasar flies to his father father's house, strips down to his underwear, and has a very uncomfortable conversation with his dad. Yeah, I wouldn't want to talk to my dad in my underwear. No, never. <laughs> Uh, the next morning, Wendell goes to the Edict offices to present his security designs. Meanwhile... Right. And it's been months. They, are, they make it mention that it's been months yeah. since uh, he set up his firm, and he's still only working on one case, and he's finally given the presentation. Right. And he's shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that he's presenting it to more than one person. Oh, my God. This is ridiculous. Yeah. It's, this is somebody who has never actually been in a, the business world at that's, all. <laughs> that's very true. And you know what I wonder? So, okay, let's say you have a pair of quantum bands, Gene, right? Yes. And you are the protector of the universe. Hmm. That's more important than maintaining a secret identity. And, okay, let's say you want to have some downtime. You know, you don't want to be Quasar all the time. You want to, you know, just have some fun 
wouldn't you do something else to earn some money? Well, he here's the thing. He's an Avenger. He's got yeah. a stipend. He doesn't need money. He could live in Avengers Mansion. He could. Been known to happen. Right. And then he still has his Wendell Vaughn identity and still dress up like this and go out on the town, go see his dad, go see his mom, whatever, and not be Quasar at that time. But right. he doesn't need to keep up the pretense of the office and, oh, I must not tell my secretary that I am Quasar, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What I think it stems from is an old style an old style mindset of the hero needs to have these human interactions and in order to do that he must have this civilian identity and the civilian identity must have an income and a job etc i mean it i can i can forgive it in the case of clark kent because part of that idea was he's a reporter so he gets the alerts with all the trouble happening so he can go out and save people superman that doesn't happen when you have a security firm. Well, that's very true. And 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 just if you're okay, let's say your Avenger stipend isn't enough to live the lifestyle that you want, you can go into outer space. Yeah. You know, why don't you go to the asteroid belt and bring back an asteroid that's made out of gold? You know, because you know, these these rare minerals are all over. I mean, there's an entire sun I, I, again, because I, I I watch a lot of History and Discovery Channel, there is uh, you know an object in outer space that's the size of the sun that is one pure diamond. It's pure diamond. Mm-hmm. You know, you are quasar. You don't need to go to another solar system. You could just go to the fucking moon. You know, or go to the asteroid belt. You can quantum jump there. You know, pick bring some uh, some rare minerals back. Hawk them at your local pond store. Uh, pond store. And then uh, invest wisely. Right. (laughs) Boom, chigawa, you got candy. Yeah, buy buy stock in Stark Industries, you know? Right. You you can get money another way. You don't have to keep up this pretense. Exactly. Anyway, while this is going on, a cruise ship sees a giant helmet coming out of the water, interrupting the shuffleboard tournament. And this must be like a French captain. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, at the presentation, Wendell gets a signal about the threat and pulls his best Clark Kent excuse to get out of there. Oh yeah, because of course you know he's the, it's the day of the big presentation, yeah. and now he gets an alert. <laughs> typical. <laughs> it's typical. Yeah. So he changes to Quasar and flies out to sea, where he encounters Terminus standing atop the water and preparing to teabag the cruise ship. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I was going to make a Jesus reference because he's standing on the water. Yes. Not even a little bit submerged, just standing on the water. Uh, but I, I like your I like your teabag reference. Well, I mean, you look at that image, and for yeah. anyone following along, it's on page 15. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, I've played enough first-person shooter games with you to know that that's <laughs> typically the stance you take right before you're going to teabag somebody. <laughs> And, I'm, and I know you're not using the uh, the general you. You're using the specific you because that's all I do. Yes. I pull somebody and I teabag the crap out of them because I'm an asshole. <laughs> so Quasar flies around, not talking to Terminus at all, until Terminus blasts him into orbit. And literally blasts him into orbit. Yeah. And, and, and just let's, you know, if you're not following along at home, Terminus is large enough to teabag a cruise ship. Yes. So Pacific Rim, bigger than one of those mechs, or uh, what are they called in that in that movie? Uh, um, That's a good question. I don't remember. 
Oh, come on. I thought you would know. You Yeah, you would think, but I just... The, the, the monsters are called kaiju. Well, the, the generic term mech just sticks in my head. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. Yeah, and anyway, and now I have Luke Jacanetti screaming at me. <laughs> uh, so, anyway... Jaegers. Jaegers, there it is. There you go. So, Quasar flies back into the area and tries to siphon off the energy from the lance, but he's unable to because apparently he can only siphon it off if it's being, if it's being used against him. Correct. So when the lance is not shooting or performing some other option, uh, some other activity, see, I've got Jaeger stuck on the mind. <laughs> it's not emitting energy for it to be absorbed. And all the while he is using Siri, AKA Eon, to do some homework to find out, yes, his armor bears the markings of the master planet ravager, Terminus! Dun-dun-dun! I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, realizing they need help, Quasar calls the Avengers. Because that's specifically what you do. Asks, right, and specifically, he calls Peggy, good old Peggy Carter, and see last, uh, last episode, and asks if Thor's around. No, will Captain America do? No, fuck you and your Captain America. Yeah, I asked for a Norse god, <laughs> and yeah, the, the guy that does the flips with the shield, yeah, he's going to be a good substitute. <laughs> oh. Huh. Yeah, and I still, Terminus is the planet ravager. It sounds like a really cheap Galactus knockoff. Um, and we know, you know, and I just wonder, you know, if Galactus were to fight Terminus, who would win? Because we already know Galactus would kick Unicron's ass. <laughs> so would Galactus be able to beat Terminus? Would Terminus be able to beat Galactus? Uh, it just sounds like there's another planet uh, devourer floating around in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. It's like... Uh... You're familiar with the dark side, uh, Thanos, Mongol uh, character creation stuff? Uh, I am, but okay. you know, maybe our listeners well, are not, so why don't you tell the, that story? Jack Kirby, the, the king of all comics, created Darkseid when he went to DC and created the New Gods. Now, Darkseid is a wonderful villain, and Marvel said, well, hell, you know, we want to do the same thing, so they created... Thanos. And that's why you see a lot of times, oh, well, Marvel's using Thanos in the Avengers, therefore DC wasn't going to use Darkseid in the JLA uh, movies, whatever. Because they're essentially the same character. Just one's the DC version, one's the Marvel version. Mm -hmm. So, comes around that DC wants to use Darkseid in something, but they're in I'm not sure if it was litigation or just an, uh, an argument or whatever, and Darkseid was not available because the Kirby estate said no. Mm -hmm. So they want they wanted to create another one, so they created Mongol. And you look at him and you say, yeah, okay, I can see where he could be a, a Darkseid knockoff because he's got the, the same helmet line, etc. Et now, that character went on to be his own thing, and which is pretty decent. But it seems to me like... When Terminus was first created, whoever was running the Fantastic Four at the time, you know, said, oh, yeah, okay, we're, we're sick of having Galactus show up. So whoever was writing... <laughs> but we was, want somebody to eat the Earth. Yeah, exactly. So why don't we what create do we this... What do we do? Yeah, we're, we're, it's a worldwide threat, but it's not Galactus. It's, it's Terminus. Not Galactus. It's completely different. Now listen, guys. I know it's going to sound the same, but it's completely different. <laughs> the guy is as tall as a building. He's wearing a fancy armor, and he wants to eat the planet. But this time, he's got a glowing stick. This time, he's not purple. It's different. <laughs> it's completely different. 
<laughs> He's got silver armor, not a silver surfer. <laughs> right. There you go. I love it. I love it. Now, just one more thing. Yeah. And this is why I imagine that people listen to this, listen to it for the one more thing comment, because we never, we spent about 10 minutes on the actual issue. Page 17, Quasar, Thought Bubble, Blast. It's not working. Apparently, I can only leech energy from it unless it's in use. Yeah. And using it is the last thing I want to, him to do. Because in another panel, he says, uh, uh, but the impact still blew me through the edge of uh, Earth's atmosphere. Old man looks like he blew another hole in the ozone layer. Just what our poor, fragile atmosphere needs. Wah, 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 my pussy hurts. <laughs> Does anyone care about the hole in the ozone? I mean, this is how the fucking news. I hate the news because it's just another TV show. The news is just, I'm going to say that again. The news is just another TV show and it's completely designed to capture your attention. So what is the emergency of the week? Does anyone care about the ozone layer? Has anyone talked about the ozone layer? Have we solved that issue or is it still around? Do you even know? I know it is still around. It's still around, but we don't talk about it. No. It used to be the biggest fucking thing that everyone was worried about. We don't talk about it anymore, do we? Nope. No, just like Ebola. Just like, uh, it's ridiculous. These people that sit around and, and get worked into a panicky lather over the news. But every single week, it's some new thing, and then they forgot about the last week's issue. Yeah, well, you're talking about the exact same people who, oh my God, there's a hurricane that's going to hit. Let me go buy bread and milk. What? <laughs> you haven't drank a glass of milk in a year. You need some all of a sudden? Yeah. It's like, oh no, the snowstorm's coming. I have three snow shovels, but let me buy more. That's <laughs> right. There's only two of us that live here. Let me, well, now, all right, so I have had a snow shovel break on me. It's good to have a spare, but not five. I get, right. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to the issue. Do we, I, oh my God, do we even talk about the ozone layer anymore? <laughs> Fucking assholes. Uh, no, because All no right, go ahead. Al Gore anymore. <laughs> Fucking Al Gore. Well, that's a, that's a problem. He invented the internet, and then everyone can just go and disprove whatever he's going to say. That's right. And he's the emperor of the moon, and he's got a bag of uh, star sapphires. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. not not the uh, Carol Ferris star sapphires either. No. Not the... Good. It's a good reference. Uh, that anyway. <laughs> Uh, Quasar politely tells Peggy that Cap isn't quite right for the job. And, and to go fuck herself. <laughs> I mean, no. No. All right. Uh, and he sends up the spider signal. That's right. He makes a Batman-esque, and it's a, it's a picture of a spider, and then next to it the word man, and then the words need help. So he's essentially playing Commissioner Gordon at this point. Right. Now, while he's doing this, Eon fills him and us in on the history of Terminus, which takes a page. Sp yeah. Spider-Man then shows up as the history lesson finishes, and the two heroes head out to sea and end up getting under Terminus, because he's walking on top of the water, so they just go underwater. Right, they get, they get surrounded in a quantum construct that kind of looks like a bullet-slash-surfboard, and they are going under the water, and they come up below Terminus. Terminus, again, is walking on the water. Uh, very, very... Um, Christ-like. I don't know. I, got, I can't come up with a better thing. Uh, I apologize. General Zod um, in Superman 2. I, I didn't watch it. Okay. What? I didn't watch it. I, I, I just, listen, Superman annoys the shit out of okay. me, and those movies, it's just as aggravating. Now, before you say that I'm a, a DC denier, I also 
can't stand the latest Spider-Man movies with the emo kid. <laughs> I avoided those for years. But he has I perfect find... hair. He does have perfect <laughs> hair. He's dreamy, and that, that those eyes and that smile. Uh, anyway, so... now when yeah. let me tell you, they they don't have a sound effect when they launch off in these bullet-shaped things. Mm-hmm. But all I could think of was back in the old Tick cartoon, "Fire me, boy." <laughs> That's true. I love it. I love it. So sploosh into the water. Yes. And they... Uh, they come up in. They're in the water underneath of Terminus, and you see um, see those shadowy shapes up there, Spider Man. Those are Terminus's feet. Say what? <laughs> yeah, and Terminus is just kind of standing there. He's not going anywhere. He's just hanging around. There's fish underneath. Whatever. All right. Go ahead. Keep going. So Quasar creates a platform under the giant's feet, and he and Spider-Man push him out beyond the aforementioned Roche limit. All right. So this you've just you've compiled two, three, four pages, and they were really good pages. I mean, yeah. I mean, not a lot of dialogue, but some great oh, graphics. Oh, great, great artwork. I yeah. I love the the art, and Terminus actually speaks. One line. <laughs> what goes on here? Yeah. And starts to step off, and Quasar just extends the platform. <laughs> now, it. I know I am completely out of it with regard to Terminus. I don't know a lot of his backstory or anything. But he can walk on water. Yeah. Doesn't that mean he has some kind of levitation ability? Can't he just, like, fly off of the platform? So, okay, so I have some thoughts on this. Let me back up and tell you that... Uh, Terminus was first defeated by Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. Of course. Of course he was. You know, I mean, it sounds awfully familiar, as as we stated before. And uh, you're right. He's walking on water, so he, maybe he can't fly, per se. Uh, but he either he either has levitation, as you say, or maybe his buoyancy is off. You know, like when you take eat a lot of ice cream and take a shit the next morning, it just floats <laughs> And and maybe 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 uh, Terminus is just very buoyant. I think that's probably the least likely scenario. I think he's, uh, but I, he tries to walk off. But why wouldn't he fly? We find out in a later panel here that he uses his little staff as a means of propulsion. Right. And he does fire it down, and Spider-Man, you know, dodges it while still pushing the uh, platform and says, "Holy sheep dip! He almost vaporized me." And then uh, uh, Quasar does his best Lamaze impression. <laughs> I was says, just Keep thinking pushing, that. Spider-Man. Keep pushing. <laughs> and breathe. Don't forget to breathe. <laughs> Don't forget to. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so they end up pushing him out into space. Spider-Man creates a, a web paper airplane and <laughs> flies back to Earth. Right. While Quasar tries to quantum jump with the energy lance, which has somehow gotten out of Terminus's grip. Right. So he's now flailing in outer space, cartwheeling, you know, very, uh, you know, very um, 2001 Space Odyssey like. And uh, what does Quasar say here? He says, um, I think that lance of his is what propels him through space. I've got to get rid of it. Hmm. It's impervious to my laser slices. Couldn't we come up with something a little bit better, guys? What else can I try? I know. I'll grab onto the business end of that thing and quantum jump. And there's a very traumatic scene where, you know, you see negative and positive panels. It's actually really kind of cool. Yeah, it is a very cool effect. And I I remember them using this kind of art style in other other comics around this time period. 
but mm-hmm. it's still it shows you know just what he's going through to try and quantum jump with this massive thing right right and you know they'd already made mention of the uh the roche limit which is the uh the point where the objects will no longer fall back to earth and um the quantum joke uh, quantum joke quantum <laughs> jump kind of works yeah it, he ends up taking the 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 end of the lance and ends up near the planet neptune now why couldn't be uranus i have no idea <laughs> It should have been Uranus. That shaft should have went up Uranus. <laughs> Mwah, good night, everybody. <laughs> I just wanted to be silent there and let it land. <laughs> uh, and then um, uh, Quasar just sends it hurling towards Neptune. It burns up in the atmosphere, presumably. He quantum jumps back to Earth. He sees Terminus just kind of flailing along. And going into deep space and says, with any luck, he's helpless with a broken weapon. And this will be the last Earth ever sees of the World Ravager. I love the last panel, though, because he's he's flying there watching, saying somehow I wouldn't count on it. That's right. Because Because this is Marvel. That's right. And everyone comes back eventually. So that is Quasar number seven and a really good book. I mean, we uh, tease all the books, but he's starting to get more defined powers. Uh, and finally, we're dealing with cosmic level threats, which will be the hallmark of the Quasar comics moving forward. And it was a nice one off storyline. Yeah. And what I liked about this in particular is, yes, it's a team up, but Quasar is the one in charge. Mm-hmm. He comes up with the idea. He just basically Spider-Man is his booster rocket. Mm-hmm. That's all Spider-Man is there for is to provide the extra oomph to get Terminus out of the atmosphere. Correct. And that's that's great because you have the poster child of Marvel Comics taking orders from Quasar. That's right. Now taking yes, it from Quasar. Yeah, it is Quasar's book, so I realize that is more or less bound to happen. But you would think that. You know, Spider-Man would be a little more resistant to it, but it I I liked it. It it sets Quasar up as being able to think out these problems and not take six issues to do it. Correct. And like I said, in the uh, the letters page, they do mention that uh, why Paul Ryan stepped down and that Mike Manley is now taking over as the artist. And like we were saying all through it, the art is great. See, I'm one of those guys that likes. I don't. I'm a, I'm about to get slapped down here by people, but I don't like the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. Mm. I don't like the, I can disjoint my hips to swing so my knee is over my shoulder. <laughs> I yeah. like the anatomy to be correct. I like everything to be in proportion. And Paul Ryan did it. Mike Manley does it. This is, you look at this and yes, it's it's a comic book. There are some comic booky things about it, but... All the anatomy's right. All the muscles are in the right places. Everyone looks like they have internal organs. And yeah, it, it was a, it's it's a great book. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really good book. And I think I want to say this is the watershed issue where the book really starts getting into the cosmic Avenger. He starts to live up to that name, and uh, I couldn't be more pleased with this particular issue. Yes, and th- I agree. This is where we are turning the corner, and things are going to. They're going to start picking up pretty quick here. More and more cosmic stuff's going to show up. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, any other final thoughts on this particular issue? No, I, I'm overall, I am very happy with it. And Excellent. you know, in in the era of you must buy the trade paperback to get a full story, you can back in 1989, you could get a full story for a dollar. <laughs> for a dollar, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> All right, so before we uh, finish up here, uh, we're going to have another comic book fight club coming out shortly. And if you're not listening to that, shame on you. It, it is, you know, the second best podcast you'll ever listen to, you know, second only to the, the Quantum of Cast course. here. Uh, however, one of the things we're going to do in a future one is a uh, uh, sidekick showdown and or sidekick smackdown. We haven't decided on a title. And uh, we're looking for some matches. So if you could go on to either the uh, Comic Book Fight Club page or the Quantum Cast page and let us know of what type of matches you want us to talk about. Because, you know, we're thinking about doing Bucky Barnes versus um, Dick Grayson. And we could probably do that two different ways. We could do it as sidekicks or when, you know, doing a Nightwing versus Winter Soldier. Right. Uh, or even, a, I mean, if you want to go that far, you could even do Bucky Barnes, Captain America versus Dick Grayson, Batman. You could. Hey, we could have a whole fight club just on those those three matches, and they're all um, Bucky Barnes versus Dick Grayson. No, forget it. Then. I, I don't need your we, – we, <laughs> we're done. We don't, I don't, I don't need your opinion. No, seriously, if you have, I mean, like we were thinking about doing, uh, you know, Snarf from the Thundercats versus Justin Bieber, because Justin Bieber is Usher's sidekick. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun things you can do out there, you know. Yeah, but for those people that are deeper into some of this stuff than we are, as far as the sidekicks go, definitely let us know if any, even if it's not specifically on sidekicks. If you just have any matchups you want, go to the Comic Book Fight Club Facebook page. And post them. You know, I, we can't guarantee we're going to do them, but we want to see your opinions. And the more people that give us these options, the more often that we can get these things going. Because it, it takes time to rack our brains to come up with these exciting matches for you guys. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It takes a whole 15 minutes of show prep. <laughs> takes you that Wikipedia, long? Okay. here I come. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for... Um, uh, for joining us on this episode and gene what else do we need to talk about are we going to sign off i think we're just going to sign off there everyone uh listen to the end tag get our email address our website etc and come on come and join us on facebook it's always a good time all right get out of here thank you for listening to the quantum cast your source for all things quasar find us on the web at quantumbands.blogspot.com you can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus under Quantum Bands. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please email us at quantum.bands at yahoo.com. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.